Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So this is obviously the day of the NFL draft, first round tonight. Big day for a lot of former Georgia players. Dog Nation all over it with coverage. Has been true throughout the week. Will be true tonight. Again, tomorrow there as well. On our show for today, we're mostly going to ignore that, though. I'll talk plenty about the draft and who goes where. We get back live next week. And Connor Riley will be on video with you tomorrow in the normal slot that Dog Nation Daily occupies to talk about what happens in tonight's first round and what will happen in the remainder of the NFL draft. That's all on tap. Instead, for today, since we're pre recorded, this is the final day of our Dog Nation cruise, I want to talk about this. You know, I love hanging on to some of the old audio clips we use on the show because you never know when they might be interesting to you sometime in the future. In some cases, it's years into the future. And I was going back and listening to one of those old clips uh, not too long ago of what Kirby Smart said in a um, media day situation about Carson Beck going back to the summer of 2021. At the time, Beck would have been this really interesting figure at UGA because he'd shown up at Georgia as a four-star recruit uh, for the 2020 season, but pandemic took away his spring uh, practice that year he didn't have a chance to have a g-day and, and kind of work through some of the things he's got a chance to work through right now he missed that opportunity and was kind of a mysterious figure on this 2020 quarterback roster because you had in fact <laughs> I had a picture in my phone the other day. I saw this of like Carson Beck and Jamie Newman standing side by side. And I thought, how surreal is this? Beck, who very much is sort of the man of the moment right now, it would seem. Jamie Newman, a guy who sort of was the best that never was, just sort of completely, you know, disintegrated uh, before we ever got a chance to see anything about him. And there they were just sort of side by side in a picture in my phone. It's just sort of a strange thing. But back then, we didn't know what Carson Beck really was. We knew what he thought he could be. He was a big time recruit, but we didn't know what he was there right then it was newman who opted out it was dwan mathis who started uh the first game of the year against arkansas obviously struggled mightily it was stetson bennett who they just pulled out of nowhere to step into the game we had no idea what bennett's career would turn into and all of this was happening around carson back and back just remained very you know kind of quiet sort of a quiet figure throughout all of this so what exactly did georgia have in carson back way back then well in the summer of 2021 kirby smart kind of talked about it and the way that smart talks about Beck is such a young guy then so interesting to think about where he is now uh, after the spring that he just had I think anyway this is this is Kirby Smart this is from SEC Media Days way back in 2021 I'm excited about Carson Beck's future he's a very bright young man he's uh done the right things off the field in terms of classroom and doing what he's supposed to do. He's improved in that area. He's talented. He's really got good composure. You know, he's a guy that can stand in the pocket with confidence and make throws. He's a really good baseball player in high school that I don't think people give him enough credit athletically. Very intelligent, great family, and I'm looking forward to seeing him grow. So Kirby Smart says that he's looking forward to seeing Carson Beck grow. And here's the thing I want to tell you here. Don't discount how much Beck did grow over the course of the spring. And don't discount how much not a given that necessarily is. That when Kirby Smart way back then is talking about a promising prospect, y'all, every team's got those. Georgia has those every single year. And sometimes the growth that could happen just doesn't happen. This is not a natural process, right? 
I mean, you know, when you're born, you naturally get a little taller, you naturally get a little bigger, you naturally get a little whatever else, but not all development is natural. Some of that has to be intentionally taken upon yourself to kind of do that. And it seems like based on what I think we saw this spring that Carson Beck has set himself on a course to be able to be capable of the kind of growth that Kirby Smart would have said was possible for him way back then because it looks like right now I believe that Carson Beck is likely going to be the starting quarterback for Georgia and it's not the arm strength and the athleticism that's going to make him be that although that's obviously a very big component of all of this it's the growth and maturity that that Beck has shown that gives him a chance and makes all of that possible. And I just think we saw some of that from him this spring. I'd invite you to go to the Dog Nation YouTube page, watch the full kind of post-G-Day press conference from him a couple of weeks ago. There's no doubt to me that Beck seems more mature now than he would have been back then. And no doubt to me that that any question you might would have had about him kind of, you know, sort of post-2021, where he had a chance to win the starting job for the game against UAB and for whatever reason just kind of didn't do it, well, whatever kept him off the field back then, that does not seem to be present in back right now. When you want to go see what we saw on G-Day, we saw a guy who, for all intents and purposes, was sort of treated as the Georgia starter. He came out the with the first-team offense to begin the game, was the sole first-team quarterback for the entirety of the first half of G-Day. Eventually, we kind of saw Brock Vandegrift in that role. We saw plenty from both Vandegrift and Stockton uh, you know, on G-Day itself, but pretty obviously the the spring game was a chance to kind of continue what has been, I think, a period of development for Carson Beck. And, you know, after G-Day, Kirby did talk about, you know, kind of why it was that Beck was sort of treated the way that he was. And the guy that was so young and inexperienced way back in 2021, all of a sudden he kind of stands as the old man in the group now. And Kirby said that's kind of what gave him the opportunity to kind of go out there first a couple of Saturdays ago. Here is uh, Kirby Smart. Well, he's had the most practice reps. I mean, he's, he's been in our system the longest, and uh, those guys have shared reps really all spring. Um, and Gunner's shared reps with the, the twos and the threes. And uh, the key is they all get to develop. I can promise you there's no uh, quarterbacks in the country getting as many reps as ours are because we've got enough defensive linemen and offensive linemen to have three units, sometimes four units. And in fall camp, we'll have four. Um, and when you have four units, you're able to get twice as many reps. And uh, I'm very pleased with the amount of reps. And we, we count reps in between days of practice. So there's a, they're, they're getting better. And the only way you get better is to go out there and practice and get reps. And some, some universities can't, can't give kids the reps we can give them because they don't have the depth. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about offensive line as of late. You know, it's capable offensive lines that create more scrimmage opportunities for you and practice opportunities for you because you can't put a quarterback out there if you don't have an offensive line to put in front of him. And Georgia kind of has that. And so – when Smart says, well, listen, Carson's out there first because he's just been here longer, but all the other quarterbacks are getting plenty of reps too. That's true for Georgia now, but it's also been true for Georgia in the past as well. And so when we look at a Carson back in April of 2023, moving towards May of 2023, and we see a guy who seems so much more mature and so much more in control, so much more ready for, for all of this than he maybe would have been you know, when he first arrived at campus, certainly, and even in a 2021 season there as well, it's all of that multitude of reps that give him the chance to do that. That's how you grow up. You go out there and compete on a practice field, and you do it over and over and over again. Beck's had more of that than Vandergriff has had, than Stockton has had, and now he's kind of got the experience, I believe, that I think makes him ready to be the Georgia starting quarterback. And we don't know how well he's going to perform. I honestly believe that Stetson Bennett leaves very big shoes to fill here at Georgia. I just think that's 
a case. He's won two national championships. A big part of the story is how Georgia got that done. His overall stat line, probably better than he's sometimes given credit for. Just being as good as Bennett for Carson Beck won't be easy necessarily, but he has a chance to be. And it's the growth that he's undertaken that gives him a chance to do that. And as you give credit to Carson Beck for what he shows on film, while he throws it so well, and he just sort of looks the part of a quarterback, Make sure you take time to also congratulate him for what seems like some growth and maturity as a as a person, maybe as a man, over the course of the time that he's been doing this. And so that sort of leads to the question of, well, what happens now? What happens next? And that's where I think Jake Fromm comes in, because Fromm was a guy that Kirby Smart mentioned by name during his postgame press conference after G-Day the other day of being the kind of quarterback that sort of knew how to take the reins of this team in the offseason and get him ready for the upcoming season and get himself ready for what comes next. And obviously, Carson Beck prepares to do that for what we believe. He's going to be the starting quarterback. It'll be his first time kind of putting himself in that role. So what do these next few weeks, next couple of months look like from him? Since Kirby mentioned Jake Fromm, only appropriate for us to ask Jake Fromm the other day about how Carson does all of this. And when Jake Fromm was on our show last week, I thought he gave a very interesting answer. Here's what Jake had to say. This is a, a big jump going from the spring game where you, you gain a lot of confidence in that game, you move the ball around, you have some success, uh, and it's good to be able to do it on the field in front of a crowd, uh, in front of that in that kind of environment. Um, you know, but now he man, he's got to go behind closed doors, uh, really get guys on the same page. Hey, you know, let, let's go off, let's get a break. We deserved it, we earn it. Uh, but now, man, when we really come back for this summer, man, we got to be locked in, laser focused. Uh, we're going to lead by example. We're also going to pick up our voice a little bit during these summer workouts, uh, really starting to push guys, get guys in shape, uh, and get guys learning this offense uh, and every little detail about it that we need in order to have success in the fall. So here's the bottom line on all this based on what Jake Fromm said there. We have seen a period of growth and maturity for Carson Beck. He is not the same quarterback now he would have been summer of 2021 or even during 2020 when he first arrived here. That, that, that Carson Beck right now is more than that. But as Jake Fromm points out, there is also more growth that's needed. That that growing up that he's been doing, that period of getting ready that he's been going through, it's time to do even more of that. And Jake Fromm lays out exactly what that looks like for the rest of the summer. And for Beck to be the very best player who can be later on this fall, if he is indeed the Georgia starting quarterback, and for the Georgia team around him to be the very best that he can that it can be, what happens over the course of the next few weeks, next couple of months, are going to go a long way towards determining just that. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Meriwether and Tharp. Happy to have you with us. Final pre-recorded show for us. That means back Monday, we'll be live doing the show as we always have. Tomorrow in video, special uh, appearance by Car- uh, Carson, <laughs> if only, I guess, uh, Connor Riley, I should say. He'll be live on video in place of the normal Dog Nation Daily slot, talking to the video audience about uh, everything that's going to happen tonight with the first round of the NFL Draft. That means podcast folks, we'll take a break from delivering a show for you for just one day tomorrow and then be back to normal in full action again there on Monday. So hopefully all of that makes sense. And of course, we're so appreciative of our friends at Meriwether and Tharp and make all this possible. I love Bob and Ashley Tharp, love the entire uh, family there and the entire team at Meriwether and Tharp celebrating 25 years in business, by the way. How cool is this? 25 years of taking care of folks who may be just like yourself going through a divorce situation. That's not what you want to be doing, but if you are doing that, trust the institutional knowledge that Meriwether and Tharp has earned and gained 
over the course of a quarter century of handling divorce situations, much like yours, thousands and thousands of times they've been through this. And that gives them a chance to kind of give you the best advice you need to make the best decision to set yourself up for a great tomorrow on the other side of this divorce situation. So I want you to check them out online. It's the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. That's their website, the AtlantaDivorceTeam.com. Meriwether and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. What that means is they know every dot and tittle of all of this. They know how all of this stuff works and how the law can be leveraged for your benefit there as well, especially for those sort of weighty issues that seem to really matter in a a topic like this, your finances, the relationship with your children, so much more of that. You can get all of the information you need. It starts with a free initial consultation with one of those attorneys. It may even start prior to that, taking advantage of the free resources that exist online. And then after that, you can make the decision to hire Meriwether and Tharp to handle your divorce situation. So your source for Georgia divorce is Meriwether and Tharp. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. That's theatlantadivorceteam.com. All right, so on our show coming up here in a couple of minutes, Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp today, we're going to talk to Jeff Sintel. Very unusual for Jeff to be joining us on a Thursday. But we're going to talk to him today as we've kind of doing our sort of kind of post-spring breakdown here. Jeff has covered, obviously, a lot of the elite Georgia freshmen when they were recruits. So how did he feel like they performed during spring practice? Who is set up well to have a very impressive freshman season? Who could be a big contributor for Georgia right away? We'll talk to Jeff Sintel about some of that here coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, I'm going to go around the doghouse. Now, we just spent a good bit of time talking about Carson Beck. So I want to talk about an issue that kind of relates to Beck here just for a moment, because one of the things that I think that a lot of folks had questions about going to Georgia spring practice and going into G-Day that actually kind of turned out not to be that big of a deal, the transition from Todd Munkin to Mike Bobo. Now, listen, that doesn't change the overall fact of the matter is that Mike Bobo has got a big responsibility this year. This is a Georgia offense that last year scored, you know, in excess of 40 points per game, had 98 plays of 20 or more yards, scored 50 in the SEC championship, 40 whatever in the uh uh, Peach Bowl and then 65 in the national championship game. This is this is a team last year that was humming offensively, especially in the games that mattered most. Big offensive brush to begin the game against Tennessee that rendered any chance of a Vols upset that day, at least point spread upset. Uh, any chance of that happening, just completely impossible, just given the fact that the Georgia offense is so explosive. So Mike Bobo obviously has you know uh, big shoes to fill for the upcoming season but based on what we saw during spring practice i think that kirby smart said it probably pretty well he talked about kind of a seamless transition obviously they've you know kind of moved from from monk into bobo thus far everything seems to be happening just as it's supposed to happen and probably a lot of that kind of aided by the fact that bobo was on this staff a year ago as a quality control analyst and in fact we know in the case of Carson Beck, who we now believe is likely to be Georgia's starting quarterback, that his level of comfort and familiarity with Bobo as his offensive coordinator actually began a year ago when Bobo kind of took on the expanded role once Buster Faulkner left to go be Georgia Tech offensive coordinator that uh, that 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 Beck kind of got comfortable with Bobo then. And that was a comfort that is now aiding him as they're working together as kind of the quarterback OC uh, combination here. So in light of what I think seems like a successful transition to Mike Bobo's offensive coordinator, at least based on what we're capable of learning during spring practice, let's remind you of what Carson Beck has said about this in the past. I mean, obviously, they're very separate people. You know, every I think every offensive coordinator is very different and brings their own um, you know, spark and you know calls different plays, calls different things, does things different. Um, you know, Bubba's very energetic. You know, love the way that he's been coaching recently, and I'm excited to keep working with him. That was from the Aaron Murray interview that uh, Carson Beck did not too long ago. So, 
there are lots of things we had questions about for Georgia going to spring practice. And obviously, some of the questions about the Georgia offense will still linger into the fall. But at least in terms of Mike Bobo as a fit, after Todd Munkin's success over the course of his three years here, including the last two national championships, thus far, the concern that some people thought they might have for Bobo, thus far, it hasn't quite materialized. It seems like it was a pretty good spring for the Georgia offense. They certainly put on a good show at G-Day, and we expect that to continue into the fall. And that is Around the Doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. Uh, normally for Thursdays for us, it's the former wide receiver Terrence Edwards. We always love talking to Terrence around here. We'll do that again next week. But for this week, uh, making a rare Thursday appearance to talk about everything that happened for Georgia freshmen over the course of the spring. Uh, let's get ready to talk to Jeff Sintel here right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. So all kinds of surprises this week. We had Connor Riley on a Monday. That's not normal. We have Jeff Sintel on a Thursday. That is a shocking breach of protocol around here, but it's all in for a good cause because of the dog nation cruise jeff on the high seas with me right now i trust that you and i both right now jeff are enjoying the bahamas and those wonderful blue uh caribbean waters and everything independence of the seas has to offer uh, via royal caribbean i'm assuming we're all having a great time with that but we got to make sure we take care of business for those who were kind of back here on the mainland here a little bit so good to have you part of the program here today hey man good i mean maybe right now it's uh it's uh, libations and good times, and maybe we're watching Brandon ride the zip line for the fourth time of the day at Coco Cay. Uh, no, uh, no doubt about that. So, Jeff, one of the things I want to talk to you about, we're kind of in the midst of using some of the space on our show this week uh, around this time to kind of look back on spring practice a little bit. And in particular, I want to look at some of these Georgia freshman guys that you know very well from having covered them as recruits. And I guess the first thing that you are left to remark on is just how many of them there were that went through Georgia spring practice this year. What were they, 2021 early enrollees in the neighborhood of that? Obviously, a huge number of those 2023 signees have already started their Georgia careers, were a part of this uh, Georgia spring practice. And just kind of from a big picture standpoint, what stands out to you about what you saw from those guys here thus far this spring? And I'll let you take it whichever direction you want to go. So, yeah, Brandon, really for me, uh, man, this is different. Um, now, I, I know the rosters, the guys that are coming in, but it's kind of just like overload, and it's overload about potential, and it's overload about just give these guys about a year and a half of seasoning and coaching. I'll give you an example, Brandon. I'm, I'm taking pictures. I'm on the sidelines like I am for every Georgia game, and I'm trying to line up in my 400-millimeter lens a, a good shot of the defense, one of those little, little artsy shots. Um, that I'm sure you're taking on your vacation. And I look, and I, there's Raylan Wilson, and then there's D.J. Allen, and then there's Janelle Aguero creeping up into the box, and then there's A.J. Harris. And I, I just thought for Georgia fans, you just really don't know how delicious the future of all those oh, guys yeah. getting reps in their very first spring game is going to be. I mean, Brandon, we've said in the past that Georgia has won, had generational defenses with a couple of holes in the defense. Like, there, there's a guy here that was a plug-and-play. There's a guy here that waited five years to play. There's a walk-on here. Maybe there's not an ideal pro prospect there. Brandon, when those guys are all ready, good luck. Good luck, Alabama. And, I mean, this is maybe just as bold as I'll ever sound, but you know that uh, meme on social media of Will Ferrell and, like, his um, character from uh, Ron Burgundy from Anchorman where he's, like, doing that little come here, come here, come here? Good luck, SEC, when – 
when Raylan and CJ and Janelle and AJ Harris and all those guys are ready, and then doggone it, if you don't flip over on the next series and you look offensively and you see Dominic Lovett in the slot, you see Yazid Haynes, you see Tyler Williams, you see Lawson Lucky, you see all these, you see Monroe Freeland, you see all these pieces, Brandon, and man, potentially the best possible Georgia in 2024. That Death Star you and I have always kind of chortled about or whatever, Brandon, that sucker might be fully built, and there won't be no thermal exhaust port weakness either. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, Janelle Aguero is a name that I talked to Connor Riley briefly about earlier this week, and I think he's interesting in particular because, as it stands right now, it seems like Tyke Smith has kind of emerged as a potential fifth defense back, your nickelback, or as Georgia calls it, its star which means that Javon Bullard becomes a safety and sort of immediately probably one of the very best players in the country at the safety position, having been so valuable for Georgia playing star himself a year ago. Obviously, I think Malachi Starks is in a pretty good spot in his second year after being a starter last season. So for a guy like Aguero, it seems like he might be ready to play, but Georgia may have a hard time figuring out where to put him. Is that the sense that you get for Aguero right now when it comes to his first year on campus? But I think he's going to find a way. I think you'll see special teams dynamite from Aguero. Everybody remembers that big hit from G-Day already. I'm sure folks will be thinking about that one all summer. I think even Kirby Smart got in some colorful uh, play-by-play or color analysis of Janelle flying up to the ball. But I think he's going to be too hard to keep off the field. And remember, Brandon, I know it sounds very top-heavy by moving, by doing some Tetris and moving Javon Bullard here and moving Tyke Smith here. But you got to think behind behind those names. There's not a lot of safety depth whatsoever. You can say David Daniels Ivana. You can say him. Georgia still wants to see improvement from Jacory Thomas. I saw Smart coaching him up a couple of times on the field in real time at G Day. But I think the thing with Aguero, man, that's different is you know Tyke Smith looks very good and he looks healthy for the first time in Athens. And that maybe would have changed what Georgia's safety rotation would have looked like a year ago or two years ago, the knee brace is off. But Aguero, Brandon, the, 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 thing, the book on Aguero is still, he can play like a corner, he can hit like a linebacker, and he can give you a really great safety-type look, especially against spread offenses. And right now, if you have to look at Georgia and potentially championship depth, I think Aguero can provide that type of championship depth. Brandon, there's not a whole lot of difference in skill sets in the way they play football from what Malachi Starks brought to Georgia last year, except Malachi Starks was just a little bit bigger um, than what Aguero brings. But, man, he's got a bright future as well. You talked about Lawson Lucky a minute ago, too. That's a guy that we've talked about several times thus far this spring. And, you know, on G-Day, I think he would have three catches targeted a good number of times. You know, clearly when he was on the field, he was a part of what Georgia was doing offensively. And that, I think to me, stands as a signal that he's ready to be used as a part of this team here this fall as well. Brandon, here's another another snapshot. I was telling you, these are just rolling through my head right now. Um, I want to take you to the thought of, and really, Lawson was having a great day until the the black team decided, hey, or the red team decided, hey, C.J. Allen, why don't you go shadow Lawson Lucky? And then you got some really good competition. I want you to just think of this thought. Where else in the country, Brandon, would Lawson Lucky be Maybe the third team tied in going against C.J. Allen, who's maybe a, maybe a fourth or fifth team inside backer right now. Nobody else would look that good, that talented, 
that prepared and that ready to play at those two positions. And it was fun, Brandon. I, I found myself uh, not even, even paying as much attention as I should to where Gunnar Stockton or Brock Vandegrift or Carson Beck was delivering the ball because I wanted to see how those two guys were matching up downfield. Yeah, that's really interesting. You mentioned C.J. Allen. You know, I think one of the things a lot of Georgia fans took from G-Day, you know, good statistical day from him. You know, Damon Wilson had two, you know, G-Day-style sacks, but nonetheless, he's getting free on the edge there. You know, from the basis of the stat line for G-Day, Georgia seems to be really good hands with an outside linebacker like Damon Wilson and an inside linebacker in the future like C.J. Allen. I thought both those guys were pretty much as advertised on G-Day. Yeah, I thought Allen had the more complete game. Raylan Wilson still played well, but he drew a lot of that. Did you see in that highlight moment from that tip ball, Brandon? Some fans saw that number five running down the sidelines in a really dirty uh, grass-stained uniform, and they thought of Garrison Hurst in 1992 (laughs) because, I tell you, Raylan can fly. He's probably got some Garrison Hurst-type jets right there with the 10-9-1 and the 100. But, you you know, CJ is just a guy that feels like an important piece um, on the field, off the field, in the locker room. But, you know, Brennan, I tell you what, Kirby Smart, we continue to say he must be living right because somehow, whether it's the transfer portal or it's 15 guys or 18 guys going off to the draft and mid-years and guys coming in, but, you know, he had a slew of recruits, Kirby did, on hand for G-Day. And everybody got to look down there and they got to say, Aguero checks notes, freshman making plays, Allen making plays, Wilson making plays, Damon Wilson making plays. Like K.J. Bolden told me about the Wilson boys, he was watching both of them. He was watching Aguero. He was watching all those guys, and he was like, man, those freshmen really get in early. And they certainly get in early when they're as talented as what Georgia has, but they also get in really early when you have a split squad. And 21 new mid-year enrollees account for basically maybe a third of the roster right now. Still not quite sure exactly what the expectation is supposed to be for Roger Robinson's upcoming season. I saw plenty that I liked from him on G-Day, the buzz. I think for him during spring practice has really been pretty good, but you know this wasn't a day set up to really run the ball all that much. Uh, Robinson, along with I guess a certain extent of Dejon Edwards, about the only healthy scholarship running backs that Georgia had. I guess running back in general is a little bit of a mystery to me in terms of as a freshman what Roderick Robinson's impact is going to be as a freshman. I guess that's a little bit of a mystery too. I think he looks cool wearing number zero. It's kind of nice to see a zero still out there on the Georgia offense now that Big O uh, Darnell Washington has moved on. But you know, beyond kind of liking the uh, number, I think Robinson's still a little bit of a mystery for me, Jeff. What did you make of the overall spring that you think he had coming over from California? Shoot, I tell you, uh, number one, he's big, Brandon. He might be the biggest back Georgia has. And when he's big, he also moves very well. You saw him on a couple of wheel routes or some flares out of the backfield. He could catch it as well. And, you know, it was interesting seeing him fully healthy because a lot of the glory he did in leading Lincoln High in San Diego to a, a state title last fall, he was going about 55 or 60% with a lingering hamstring issue, Brandon. You know, for me, you watch Robinson and you see a lot of – I see a lot of potential. And here's one thing I noticed, too. I hope you, I wonder what you thought about that. When Kirby Smart was talking about his running backs in his postgame presser, he mentioned Robinson. He mentioned how people don't like to tackle him at all. And for a Georgia team that thrives itself and prides itself on carnage and lighting it up and practicing on Bloody Tuesdays to have a physical defensive unit um, report back that they don't like hitting that, that number zero – Definitely encouraging for his future because SEC still a run game, play action, grown man league. 
And when it's really hard for Georgia's guys to get a running back, a freshman running back on the ground, that sounds really good for Roderick Robinson's future. And, you know, the other thing I noticed, Brandon, Kirby didn't really basically hold up a help-wanted sign for the running backs when he talked about, you know, Kendall and Dejon uh, and their limited contributions in spring. But then he spoke about Branson having a great spring and Roderick having a great spring. And then he brought up uh, Cash Jones as well. He didn't try to sound like uh, Georgia was poor in the running back talent department. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, how good of a sp- uh, of a spring do you think that Monroe Freeling had I think that Freeling's one of the most important freshmen that Georgia has I think you know it sounds like Austin Blasky's in a great spot right now Ernest Green may be the starter at left tackle but another really good tackle I think is important to find too to add to that depth and I think that Freeling is as good a, uh, a potential being that as anyone how good of a spring do you think that Freeling had I'll say one thing I noticed Freeling was sweating quite a lot but he was holding up in the in the fires pretty well you, you think about what he drew Brandon played a lot of left tackle. He drew Damon Wilson a lot. He drew uh, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins a lot. He drew a lot of some of Georgia's upper-tier past edge speed rush guys. And remember, Brandon, when you throw the ball like 60 times in a spring game, there's no uh, threat of the run game where guys have to worry about um, the the offensive lineman kind of firing off the ball and getting in their face a little bit. They can just kind of tee off and – I think the best thing with Monroe, he looks athletic. He looks like he's going to be able to get it done, but he's not going to be called upon really this year unless something dire happens at the tackle spot. Um, this year of seasoning and this year, you know, you want to see Monroe Freeling's name kind of stick around the twos when Georgia starts lining up every week uh, as they go on the road in the SEC and as they, they play, play at home. And I think that year of seasoning is going to help Monroe a lot because I I do think the world of his future at Georgia as well. All right, let me squeeze in one final one before we let you go here. We certainly appreciate your time. A little bit different day for us here as part of this Dog Nation cruise that we're all on this week. Obviously, the Bear Alexander news two Saturdays ago was a very big deal. And, you know, kind of trying to figure out the aftermath, what next on that has been a hot topic. Jordan Hall is a name that comes up a lot. Uh, incoming freshman defensive lineman who had just as many accolades as uh, Alexander may have had a year ago. I guess the question here is, how much do you think Hall has a chance this season to make folks kind of forget what Bear Alexander was during his own freshman campaign a year ago for Georgia? Well, yeah, first thing you got to remember, uh, Hall already has a head start on Bear because Hall played the entirety of spring practice for Georgia. Yeah, he looks like he needs to lose a little bit of weight, but every freshman does. That's a, that's a trench-type player coming out of high school. Remember, Brandon Bear didn't play at all during spring. He was rehabbing a, a shoulder labrum repair, so he really did get going with Georgia. You know, that, that was always an interesting situation with Georgia and Bayer because let's just speak from a pure football standpoint. You know, Bayer was a guy that maybe thought, I'm ready to take on a lot of Jalen Carter's minutes. And that's very hard with a, with a football team like Georgia where it may have been Bayer's time at Georgia, but it was also maybe Nazir Stackhouse's and, and Warren Brinson's time at Georgia and Zion Logue's time at Georgia. You know, there's a lot of guys there that have waited behind a, uh, you know, Devontae Wyatt, a Jordan Davis, and a, and a Jalen Carter for their turn as well. And, and you got to also remember this one clear thing is those guys were all expected to be veterans and leader leader types on the Georgia defense this year with so many young guys. And, you know, for, for that to happen, you, you, when you don't play as much, it really hurts your ability to lead. And that was a tough spot where was Bear Alexander good enough to just go to the front of the line in terms of playing time with all those other guys? Or was it going to be kind of what Georgia does? They rotate. Remember, 
Brendan Jalen Carter's sophomore year, he he rotated. He didn't start at Georgia. He rotated as a freshman. So it was one of those things where you have a lot of depth. And you got to remember Hall. I'm glad you brought him up, Brandon, because Hall is just every bit as highly recruited as Alexander. Maybe, maybe not like uh, you know Zion, Nazir, and Warren Brinson as well. But the other name we got to make sure that we do our accounting on is Jamal Jarrett. And I got to say one thing about Jamal: reports had him coming into Georgia for the bowl practices around 370 pounds, Brandon, and he looked like he lost a lot of weight uh, at G Day on Saturday. Now he didn't get as much run. Why? Because Jamal, big jaw, is going to be a run fitter right now early on at Georgia, kind of like how Jordan Davis was early on his years at Georgia. But you see Jamal Jarrett also is an option there at defensive tackle. I like the name Christian Miller as well. Such a hardworking, good, dependable kid. This is a guy that I think will, you know, a redshirt freshman All-American of a year ago, that's a guy that I think, um, uh, that's a guy that I think will maybe find, a, find a, a wedge of the minutes pie here in the rotation for Travion Scott. He'll do do very well at Georgia. Jeff, great stuff. We appreciate that. I'm happy to be on this Dog Nation cruise with you, and I'll also look forward to talking to you back here in your normal slot next Friday, live once again. Here's part of Dog Nation Daily. Hi, man, buddy. Take it easy, man. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Unusual to have Jeff Sintel on a Thursday show, but I enjoyed that here today. Next week, he'll be back to his normal Friday spot. We'll obviously be back talking a bunch about recruiting as we head towards the month of May. A lot going on as it relates to UGA recruiting, so we'll have plenty of fun having those conversations. But for now, Jeff is enjoying our Dog Nation cruise, and I'm enjoying it there as well. But today is sort of that final day. You know, it's a sea day, and I think one of the cool things with the Dog Nation cruise is, is the sea day. And by sea day, what I mean is is there's no port to visit. We're not going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay on this particular day. We're not going to Nassau, the Bahamas. We're kind of on our way sailing back to Port Canaveral, Florida, which is where we'll disembark to go home. And for us, it creates a lot of opportunities to have a whole lot more fun on the ship. The night will conclude with the special Dog Nation NFL draft party. That was a lot of fun last year. It's going to be huge this year. High atop Independence of the Seas. Big screen to watch the draft. You know, you got the tranquil waters all around us. It's going to be a fun time. And we have a couple of other special, you know, kind of surprise things that we're going to be doing on this particular Thursday for those folks who are on the cruise with us. So it's, it's going to be really, really fun. It's one of the things that, in addition to the, just the general fun of a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, specifically speaking, the Dog Nation cruise just provides so many special events that I think are going to be great for our folks. So I can't wait for that. Now, as you hear me say that, it's also a reminder for you that you can enjoy your own Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, whether it be the debut of Icon of the Seas uh, this upcoming January or uh, ship sailing in the upcoming summer or you know in the fall and head towards the holiday season all kinds of uh, great opportunities and jessica slater is a great travel agent who can help you book it all give her a call 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 and jessica slater can get you set up on a royal caribbean cruise vacation here today all right this is kind of the final day of us doing something we've been doing throughout the week which is for our sec through time looking at one big game for each SEC team as a way of just kind of trying to tell the story for where that SEC team is in this step of its journey, if you will. And I want to give you three more of those today, starting with Tennessee. Now, Tennessee a year ago got the biggest win that it's gotten in years when it beat Alabama on the third Saturday in October. So much so that, I mean, they're still celebrating this. They wrote books about this. They've hung banners in Neyland Stadium about this. 
You go anywhere in Knoxville, you do not have to look very far to find evidence of how proud Tennessee was to have uh, have beaten uh, uh, Alabama this past season. That's just one of those things you just sort of see. Well, this year it's return day, right? It's Alabama now getting a chance to host Tennessee. And for Tennessee, this is also an opportunity for them to show, okay, how much of what we saw a year ago kind of sticks around for this season and and can tennessee build off of was a 10 and 2 regular season a year ago well this road game in alabama goes a long way towards determining that and you sort of feel like the next great wide receiver might be in place when it comes to brew mccoy and between nico imaleva or or joe milton a quarterback capable of really managing and running the josh heupel offense that might be there but this is still one of those situations where you go back and watch the alabama tennessee game a year ago even with all tennessee did i mean frankly alabama sort of weirdly lost this game after you know you know kind of battling back taking the lead it seemed like alabama was going to be in control of this some officiating stuff once again went against them which nick saban you know never tired of talking about and ultimately end up being a tennessee win but it very easily could have been the opposite result so alabama will obviously have this game circled and for tennessee this game becomes really important because what they really want is when they host Georgia in November, they want that to matter. They want that to be for something. They want to have a chance to have that be what the game a year ago was supposed to be, a springboard possibly to the college football playoff. But you can't have that one matter unless you take care of business right here. So third Saturday in October, very big here, and Alabama will be looking for revenge. It's a fun football game, and it matters a lot for Tennessee. Now, speaking of Tennessee, they will also be the opponent I want to highlight for Texas A&M because A&M goes there October 14th. Now, I have jokingly said this a lot. So for those who are like regulars to the show and maybe even like video commenters, we probably do more of this then than we do right now. Since A&M kind of broke through and I think they finished what fifth in the country in 2020, I've kind of talked up A&M a little bit. I really at one point in time thought the Jimbo Fisher would likely build something sustainable at A&M. I thought that was a resourced program. Jimbo Fisher was a national championship coach. There weren't very many of those active in college football. It seemed like the kind of marriage that could really work out. And we have to be honest, other than an upset win against Alabama, it really hasn't worked out. There really isn't much to show for Fisher's time. Yes, they had the number one recruiting class in, uh, you know, two cycles ago, but ultimately even that seems a little hollow. And some of the guys they brought in aren't even there anymore. Um, and all of this just sort of seems like, to use a phrase that Texans understand well, all hat, no cattle. Well, guess what? They have a chance to kind of be a little better than that this season. The higher Bobby Petrino is offensive coordinator, I think that matters. Now, how much does it matter? I don't know. I guess some of that depends on how much Jimbo Fisher allows Petrino to control the offense. Petrino is a better offensive mind than Jimbo Fisher is, I believe, proof being in the pudding there. And Fisher may not want to openly acknowledge this is going to be Bobby Petrino's show this year, but I don't believe that Petrino would have taken this job unless he kind of had those assurances. Now, listen, Petrino's, you know, maybe maybe you can say what you want to him about him as a human being and you'd be fair to say whatever in that regard but when it comes to his ability to coach up offensive football i think that sort of speaks for itself so think about this october 14th game you know we would say that right now the clear class of the sec is georgia and we would say the next two teams underneath that were probably alabama and lsu no disrespect to tennessee tennessee actually beat both those teams a year ago but on paper it sort of seems like alabama and lsu are probably better than tennessee here right now because of the fact that tennessee lost hinn and hooker and some of its wide receivers uh so this tennessee texas a&m game kind of becomes the battle at least in the minds of some probably in the mind of myself here 
to be the best, the next best, right? If Georgia's the best, if Alabama and LSU in some form or fashion are two, three in the SEC, then being fourth best in this conference right now is nothing to be embarrassed by. And A&M versus Tennessee on October 14th might be a battle to see who's fourth best. And it might be Texas A&M. Even though they've had some transfers and there's been some you know weird cultural things going on there, this is not a barren roster. This is a roster that's still got some talent. Evan Stewart, probably one of the very best wide receivers in the country, just as a for instance. And this is also a winnable game. They may not win it because uh, they haven't won very many of their winnable games in recent years, but they might. And if they do, that'd be quite a statement for Texas A&M. And then finally, speaking of teams that beat Tennessee a year ago, how about South Carolina? And I think South Carolina is one of those teams that's probably pretty difficult to predict for the upcoming season. Uh, we clearly saw them play very well against, let's say, like Tennessee and Clemson in last year, but they got completely obliterated at the hands of Georgia. Now, maybe it's just because Georgia is that much better, or maybe it's because from week to week, a little bit difficult to know what kind of South Carolina team you're going to get. This year, obviously, the fate of the Gamecocks will be largely determined by just how much improvement Spencer Rattler has shown. Now, there's chatter coming out of Columbia that he's shown plenty of improvement. Maybe he has. But the need for Shane Beamer to build on some recruiting momentum that seems to exist right now and some end of regular season momentum that seemed to exist a year ago and make people forget about some of the transfer portal departures from this offseason, the chance to start all of that actually begins week one. Really good non-conference game, a matchup we've seen some over the course of recent years, but never seems to disappoint in terms of an actual game. It's South Carolina, North Carolina, UNC, in Charlotte. I believe Tar Heels right now a slight favorite in this game, but the kind of game that South Carolina just has to win. They just have to win this game. You can't beat Clemson and then lose to UNC. Um, that, that you want to build off what you did in last season to start this year. And UNC is sort of the perfect kind of opponent to do that. Drake May is still the quarterback, so you get some credit if you win it. But it's also one of those games that you probably should win. If, if, if you want to take the next step forward as an SEC team, these are just the kind of games that you just win. So I think there'll be a pretty big spotlight on South Carolina in that week one game against UNC. Tar Heels will be picked to win, but if you're South Carolina, it's one you sort of need to win. And if you can get it, then you can add that to what might be a decent collection of SEC wins there as well. I mean, all of a sudden we're talking about Shane Beamer as a coach after three years who's really kind of doing something in South Carolina. As I've said before, and I'll wrap it up after this, is that, you know, Beamer has seemingly gotten less chatter than other SEC coaches have gotten. For instance, Josh Heupel and Beamer came into the league at the same time. Uh, you know, year one, they had pretty similar seasons back in 2021. Year two, Beamer actually beat Heupel. So, you know, you'd be led to believe that Josh Heupel is one of the best coaches in the SEC and Shane Beamer is just some guy stuck in the middle. But the actual results for the two teams aren't quite as stark as that. So for Beamer to get the credit that maybe he deserves, games like this become important. Can South Carolina begin the 2023 season with a win? Can't wait till we get to the fall and get a chance to find that out. So obviously tonight is the first round of the NFL draft. Of course, distinguished list of former Georgia players. Hope to hear their name called by Roger Goodell and on board Independence of the Seas as part of our Dog Nation cruise. We will be rooting for each and every one of them. And obviously tomorrow, live on video, Connor Riley will be here to react to everything that happens and kind of catch you up on some of the other news from the week almost certainly there will be some so enjoy that with connor tomorrow and then dog nation daily presented by merriweather and tharp back to normal and live again on monday we will see you there after our cruise for all of that of course driving back from the sunshine state to be done with the cruise that makes us think about those lousy stinking gators you have to go through gainesville to get home you hold your nose while you do and you also think about 
Gator Hater Countdown and the fact that Georgia will be back in Jacksonville for what might be the final time, 184 days from right now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We'll see you tomorrow, or actually should say Monday, on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp.